March Madness 365 with Andy Katz is presented by Grammarly. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. Grammarly works seamlessly across 500,000 apps and websites. Get personalized on-brand writing help everywhere your team works. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the deal. It goes down. It go down in the deal. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, and got a great podcast for you. I'll be joined by Arizona head coach Sean Miller, Gonzaga head coach Mark Few, and former Purdue All-American and current broadcaster Robbie Hummel. So before we get to our guests, I want to look at our Power 36. And I've been pretty consistent here with the top five over the last couple of weeks, and I think these are the most consistent five teams in college basketball right now. And there is a trend that runs through the first five. Villanova, Purdue, Virginia, Cincinnati, and Arizona. What is that trend? These are older teams. These are experienced teams. These are teams that are prepared for the marathon, not just the sprint. And among those five, only one of those schools, Arizona with DeAndre Ayton, has an elite freshman a guy that could go number one in the draft, a lottery pick. Outside of that, these teams are built on upperclassmen, experienced guys that won't get rattled. Now, I'm not saying that these five schools uh, will be the only five that will compete for Final Four berths. Clearly, as you go further down in my top ten, whether it's Michigan State, Kansas, which I think will ultimately win their 14th straight Big 12 regular season title, Uh, The the Spartans have maybe as high a ceiling of any of these teams because they can continue to grow. Uh, Xavier, even though they got blown out by Villanova, they're an older, experienced team. Uh, Duke, which I've got just outside the top 10 at number 11, has shown some signs where they've not been as experienced in key games, losing at home to Virginia, at NC State, at Boston College. But they've got unbelievable talent. Now, they don't have a deep bench. And that could cost Duke as you go further into the NCAA tournament. Could there be an outlier? Could there be a team that I'm not mentioning it uh, at this juncture that could make a Final Four run? Is it Rhode Island, a very experienced team as well, that got to this second round last year and was on the doorstep of getting to the Sweet 16? There are plenty of other schools that are further down uh, in my Power 36 that uh, I think could make a run and have had their moments of being much higher up in this poll. Uh, is Oklahoma able to make a great run because they've got one of the best players in the country in Trey Young? Could we see you know West Virginia 
turn their season around because they've really struggled of late in the Big 12. Uh, a lot of questions are out there for a lot of those teams in the middle. Um, Ohio State's made, you know, had some great wins, uh, but don't have the depth as well. But I do feel very comfortable in saying that the top five that I've consistently had, I think, will be, you know, in the contention, obviously, for number one seeds on that one-two line, and really will go into the NCAA tournament as the favorites because they have gotten older, they've developed their players. And they all are winners right now and led by coaches, Jay Wright, Matt Painter, Tony Bennett, Mick Cronin, Sean Miller, who have been in big games before. In the case of Villanova, won a national championship. Sean Miller has been to four Elite Eights. Matt Painter has won Big Ten championships. Mick Cronin has won his conference before. And Tony Bennett has won the ACC multiple times. feel very comfortable in saying that those are right now the five best teams in the country with Kansas right on the outside of that. I'd say they're right there to join that group to be, you know, give you a top six. And then after that, I think it's it's Michigan State, it's Duke, it's Xavier, it's Ohio State, it's Rhode Island uh, that will jockey in positioning beyond that. All right, so a lot to get to. The season is really just starting to kick into high gear, of course, because we enter February, which means it'll be bubble time coming up as well. So plenty to digest, but I want to get to my guests. Uh, One coach that played for the national championship last year, another one who's been in four Elite Eights, and a player who's certainly been a part of some great teams at Purdue, who's got a great perspective on college basketball and his alma mater. So let's get to it. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Robbie Hummel, former All-American from Purdue, played professionally overseas, and now works for ESPN and the Big Ten Network. And uh, Robbie, a couple things I want to just sort of address with you uh, on the national scene. Um, Your alma mater, Purdue, Villanova, Virginia, they are 1, 2, and 3, Villanova 1, Virginia 2, Purdue 3 in the AP poll. And to me, the common theme is they're all old. And uh, as much as we talk about one and done and all that, their success has been by developing players, uh, good players, but having them stay long term. W- what do you think of that as a trend for success uh, at the highest level in the sport right now? I don't know if it's necessarily a trend. I think you look at it, if you can recruit one and duns that are going to be like DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, you're not going to not do it. Like they're, They are really, really talented guys out there. This season, maybe the one and duns haven't necessarily been on some of those teams outside of probably Duke. You know, Kentucky hasn't been maybe the same. Arizona hasn't been maybe the national contender that we thought they'd be. But you mentioned it, and it's it's certainly the case. Experience wins in the NCAA tournament, and you could look at North Carolina, and you could look at Villanova the last two seasons. Gonzaga, Gonzaga, we got there last year. There's been teams that have really fit that mold and kind of done that. And I think all three of the teams you mentioned really. I mean, they're well-oiled machines. You watch them play, and they are so in tune with what one another is doing, and they're so on the same page. It's really fun to watch, and it's really impressive to watch if you watch a lot of these guys from their freshman year to now. The improvements they've made, you, you really got to give those staffs credit because they've developed players at a high level. And Cincinnati's part of that, too. And, um, you know, Sean Miller will be coming up uh, on our podcast here, and I, and I anticipate talking about Dusan Ristic and Parker Jackson – did I mess up his name there? Parker, no, Parker Jackson got right there. Um, you know, those are seniors. Uh, Alonzo Trier 
is an upperclassman, and you know DeAndre Ayton is obviously a freak. Uh, but the majority of that team is upperclassmen. Cincinnati, same boat. Uh, so you know all this chatter. Oh, you know we got to get rid of the one and done and all that. It, it still seems like college basketball is thriving with guys that are developing. Yeah, and I think the one and done. Part of me says I think we should get rid of it because I think guys should be able to go pro whenever they want. If they, if they are good enough to go to the NBA, then they should go. But also, I, I think it stinks that if, if the one-and-done rule is no more, then we won't see elite talents in college basketball. Guys will just leave. So it's really kind of you're behind a rock in a hard place. There's arguments for it. There's arguments for, for being against it. Um, the baseball rule gets thrown out around all the time almost. So it, it'll really be interesting to see what college basketball does. But I think you can win. And you can win big with, with upperclassmen. Well, and Trey Young's a great example of that. I mean, he's having a phenomenal season, but, you know, it's been incredibly rare to have a freshman lead a team. I mean, the last time you could argue is Carmelo Anthony in 2003, uh, because even when Kentucky won it uh, with Anthony Davis as their star, you know, if I'm not mistaken, they at least had a couple of upperclassmen on, yeah, on that Kentucky team. So, I mean, as good as Trey Young is, uh, how difficult do you think it would be for for that to be the team essentially the, the 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 freshman who could lead you? I mean, you mentioned Carmelo Anthony. Obviously, his talent is so so up there with with some of the greats that have ever played in college basketball. So, and you mentioned his team too. They had Jerry McNamara. They have Akeem Warwick. It's not just Carmelo Anthony running the show there. Now, as for Oklahoma, I think they have some talent outside of Trey Young. I like Brady Manick. I like Christian James. I think they have some players. They just haven't. But to win the national championship? But to win the national championship, it's, it's really going to be difficult for them. They play a lot of pick and roll. They play so much through Trey Young. And they just haven't been really as effective lately. They haven't been as good in transition. Teams are kind of figuring out they have to contest Trey Young's shots. I think I read something where 16 of his 17 shots at Alabama were contested. So you think about that. I mean, teams are keying in on this guy. And his talent level is, is really impressive. I mean, he's a talented dude. But. In order to win the national title, it, it takes more than one guy, and, and those guys are going to have to step up if they even want to think about being in that conversation. You know, I was struck with one time you told me that um, when you were overseas, you realized essentially how good you had it at Purdue. Uh, for those that are listening um, that don't fully grasp you know, how good the college years are, what would you tell them? Well, I mean, I kind of got a mix of all levels. My first year, I got drafted by Minnesota. GM wanted me to go overseas. So I play in Spain for the second or third lowest budget team in the ACB. And the ACB is probably the second or third best league in the world behind the NBA. So it's right there. It's a good one. And I was doing my own practice laundry. I was putting the baskets up and taking it down after practice. We shared it with an indoor soccer team. And our gear was Mercury. Mercury is a boat engine to me. Like, I've never, it's Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Those are the shoe companies I know, not Mercury. So, like, in terms of that, you know, that was an eye opening experience because I, I asked the trainer one time my first day there, I go, hey, or he actually came to me and it's like, do you need anything after a practice? And I was like, yeah, uh, I'll take a bag of ice and some wrap. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, well, the ice machine's over there and the bags are over there and we don't have any wrap. Wrap. I mean, saran wrap to, to wrap ice on your knees. So that's the extreme. And I played in Milan, and I also played in Moscow. And those places were higher budget teams that didn't have those issues. Now, there's other ones. I mean, I played last year in Moscow in front of 140 people on God knows what TV channel in, in Russia. So does that compare to playing on CBS in front of 15,000 at Mac Arena? No. <laughs> it's not the same. So you kind of get a, 
a wide variety of, uh, of experiences and I think you see that hey that the food we had at school that was that was pretty good and the gear was pretty elite and you know we were flying first class or even private jets most of the time to our games so we had it pretty good. Also medical care. Oh, Walk me through what happened though when you got hurt at Purdue right. how you were taken care of. Yeah, and it's a stark difference I could compare it to when I was in Moscow last year and it's a joke. Um, but at Purdue, you know, I blow my knee out, have surgery, retear my ACL. Where'd you have the surgery? I had my first one in Indianapolis. All paid for, obviously. The second second time around, I got to pick where I wanted to go. Went to New York to uh, David Alcheck. He's, I mean, he's done countless shoulders for Major League Baseball guys and count, countless knees for for NBA dudes. And um, it's one of the best in the business. So they they fronted the bill on that and paid for my rehab and all that stuff. So it was it was uh, it was all free. And what happened in Moscow or or somewhere in Russia? Right. So in Moscow, I broke my nose and got a concussion. Me and Jacob Poland collided heads. And he of uh, Kansas State, yeah, Kansas State, yeah. So we were on the same team, but we knock heads into one another. And I, my nose is bleeding profusely, and I get taken to this hospital. And the team doctor, who barely speaks any English, is kind of translating to me through this other guy on our team. He's like, "Yeah, we're going to take you to this really nice hospital where the Russian astronauts go." So I'm like, "Oh, cool! It must be nice." But as I'm in the car going over, I'm like. The space program hasn't been relevant since the 70s. Like, this ho- this hospital might suck. <laughs> so I get there, and it is a dungeon. I mean, it is a terrible hospital. And they just took me there and left me. No one spoke English. This nurse came in, didn't say a word, had this syringe with a needle, and gave me a shot. And I was like, that could be... Dr- I don't know what that was, and I can't ask what it is, but they just left me there. So the next morning... I'm calling my agent. I am so mad that the team left me here. And they come in with these these metal uh, rods to put them up my nose and fix my nose. I was like, no, I'm going home. I'm going home in three days for Christmas. No one's touching my nose here. So I finally got out of the hospital. But, it, I mean, it's just – it was a nightmare experience. It's not – the medical care there is not what you would expect here. So that puts in perspective how good you guys have it, yeah. you know, in college and – and the other thing, too, is, uh, and I don't mean to just shill here, but, you know, when you are a college athlete, and a lot of times there's criticism of the lavish expenses for, you know, practice facilities and, uh, you know, your housing and weight rooms, all that kind of stuff. But the beneficiaries of that are the athletes. Yeah. I mean, when you were working out at Purdue and, and maybe if you go back there still, uh, I mean, how would you describe what you were basically were able to to get versus other students on campus sure i mean the the facilities wise it's on another level and that's compared to some nba teams that's compared to most probably 99 percent of european teams you, you get treated in a first class manner and, and i'm not saying the ncaa doesn't have some issues that maybe can be addressed i certainly think there are but in terms of the student athlete experience it is. It's more than what normal kids at, at school are getting, and you get the best doctors, you get the best nutritionists, you get, I mean, your gear. You have so much Nike stuff or Adidas stuff or under whatever you know your school uses. You have so much of it. You're, you're given so much. And, they, and again, I'm not saying that the system is perfect, but it's not maybe as flawed as some people say because the experience is really cool still. So I've been talking all year about how great Mackey Arena is. Obviously, I didn't play there, uh, but I've been there multiple times, and I went there earlier this season. You know, when that place is packed, when the team is good, why can't it be the best or, if not the best, one of the three best places 
to play a ba- college basketball game in America. I think it is. I think that if you go there on a night when there's two really good teams, if Purdue is good and you've got a ranked opponent coming in there, that place is so loud. And it, it's really, really impressive. You see what the student session can do and the way that the fans are knowledgeable about the game. It really is a special place to play. And I, I don't think it gets the credit nationally it, it maybe deserves. I think if you ask any guy that plays in the Big Ten – and has been around when Purdue's had a good team, they would say Mackey's one of the loudest, if not the loudest, place we go to. But, you know, the other venues that do get credit, the Breslin Center, the, I guess, Assembly Hall at Indiana, those are awesome places too. I think the conference is just so loaded with so many great venues that um, the fan support is really, really impressive for the conference. The, I mean, it leads the, the country in attendance year in and year out. So maybe it gets kind of lost in the shuffle, but you've seen it. When it's going, it's one of the best places to play in the country. Thanks, Robbie. Yep, thanks for having me. And coming up here on March Madness 365, Arizona head coach Sean Miller. Now joining me here on March Madness 365, Arizona head coach Sean Miller. The Wildcats atop the Pac-12 at 8-1, 18-4 and overall. They've won six in a row as they headed up to the Washington schools for another weekend road trip. Um, you know, Sean, I, I talked to Matt Painter about this. And, and the Bahamas must seem like it was another year ago uh, and how far his team has come. Same thing for you guys. Outside of the one blip, essentially, you know, Colorado, very tough to play, place to play. How would you assess the way your team has developed since late November? No, um, you know, I, I actually communicate with Matt every so often and, you know, almost uh, I think we both kind of look back. I mean, it, you keep in mind when we looked at each other there, uh at Thanksgiving, we were playing for seventh or eighth place in that tournament, you know, and uh, I mean, it's, it's actually a gift because as we played for the seventh or eighth place and lost to Purdue, we in essence lost to a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. I mean, if you think about that, it's almost surreal. Like you can't make that up that you would be playing that team. And then if you flip it on their side and you think that they were playing us and since then we've only lost one time, it's uh Man, that does seem like a long time ago. But, you know, it, it's a, a lot of value looking back at, at that experience for us, Andy. We were very much a young team kind of in search of uh, how this was all going to work, uh, playing without one of our key returners in Raleigh, Alkins. And, you know, you always need your best players. But I think in the month of November, you're really more dependent on those returners than maybe you are in January because now everybody's up to speed after 70 practices in 20 games at that time, at that very beginning, we were, we were a work in progress, but uh, it taught us a lot. And I think we're much better off having gone through that experience. You clearly have always gotten it when you were at Xavier, Uh, you know, obviously now at Arizona that the selection committee wants to see teams challenge themselves. Your schedule was crazy. I mean, when you think about, it was NC State, who has since knocked off Duke, Clemson, and North Carolina. SMU, which won at Wichita. We just talked about Purdue. You went to UNLV, an overtime game. You played Texas A&M on a neutral court when they were all healthy, not suspended, and all that. You play an Alabama team that uh, clearly has had some very good wins. You go to New Mexico, even though they're rebuilding. That's a road game. And, you know, you kind of played UConn, I thought, when UConn was healthier and playing better all before the Pac-12, when you put this all together, um, what was your intention? Well, it was just that. It was to make sure that we uh, have adapted as a program to what the NCAA tournament is today. 
you know, it's it's not today what it was a decade ago or or you know 15 years ago. So I think anybody who thinks in those terms uh, isn't putting their program in the best position. And, and in particular, knowing our team, you know, we felt we had a, a talented group and a team that would learn uh, through trial and error. And sometimes even if you lose some of those games and you know, we're exhibit A. I mean, when you lose three games in three days in that tournament, it, it doesn't feel very good at that time. But uh, you learn from it. I think you're better off because of it. You know, I, I think that you have everybody's attention on your team. And you hope when you get to conference play, you can continue to point out how hard it was for us at one point. And, uh, and that's a sort of, source of strength now. And, you know, to your second point, and the March Madness, you know, uh, the coveted at-large burst, they don't just give those out anymore. Uh, really quality seeds, same thing for that. There's so much parity and competition that we just wanted to make sure that in the eyes of, of the people that matter that they know we, we attempted to play a strong schedule. You know, we look at what Kansas has done in the Big 12. They're trying to get their 14th straight. And Bill Self has, you know, put that in their heads, how important it is to win that championship before they move on. Now they pl- do play a true round robin. Um, Oregon has been good during your tenure there. Obviously, UCLA's had a little bit of a, 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 a run. But how much value have you put, because you guys are the team to beat, it seems like every year since you've been there, on winning the Pac-12 regular season title? You know, I think it's very healthy to think in those terms and have that as a goal because, uh, you know, winning true road games, I think, is the hardest thing to do in college basketball. And if you're if you're the, the conference champion, that means that you did that well. And I don't think there's a better way to prepare your team for, for March than to really challenge your team uh, to be away from home, to take other people's best shot, to not have your home crowd, and to have sometimes a hostile crowd against you where you only have each other and uh, to leave there with victories and you know to win that fair share. Because to be the conference champion, the home games speak for themselves. It's Really what separates us is being able to do both, and that is win your fair share on the road. And I think you develop a toughness and a confidence, and obviously Kansas is the gold standard for that. But even for us, we're trying to compete for our fifth regular season Pac-12 championship in uh, in nine years, and it's a, it's a heck of a challenge. It really is, and I think it's the best way to prepare for March. What I've loved about watching you guys from afar is how certain players have stepped up in key moments that maybe weren't expected to, at least from the outside. Maybe you did. And so, and I think of someone like Dusan Ristic. I mean, you know, he scores 23 in your victory over Utah in that crazy game against Stanford on the road as Stanford was riding high at the time. You know, he gets you 18 and 9. Um, here's a four-year guy, and we see a lot of these teams at the top who have these four-year guys. What has he meant to this program, especially this season in those key games? Well, you're right, Andy. And our point guard, Parker Jackson, Cartwright, and Dusan, they, they really share in that, in that they at one point were role players, guys that didn't start, came in as freshmen. Their freshman year, you know, we were a number two seed and got to the regional final. But they, they've been in big games, you know, and, and they've kind of ridden that in a different role. Now that they're they're in a leadership position and they're in their last year, you know, number one, it's it's great to have them as starters. And then uh, I think that not only it's their production, but what they represent. You know, they, they have a way of, of realizing, for example, how hard the, the trip to Washington is when you live in Arizona. It takes a while to get there, you know, two completely different places, you know, plane rides in between. And, and then this year, especially a, a real contrast in style of play. So as a coach, you always rely on those leaders in um, Doosan and Parker 
the point guard and our center to have those two guys as starters in their senior year has been really beneficial, and it helped us get over what happened in the Bahamas. You've coached, I'm sure, we could rattle off plenty of elite talent uh, at Arizona, Xavier, uh, played with some, obviously, at Pitt. Um, how would you describe the talent that is DeAndre Ayton? Well, you know, framing it in the, you know, the, the way you asked me the question, I, uh, my answer would be that, you know, he, I haven't seen anybody like him. You know, I think it starts with his physical gifts. You know, he's every bit seven feet tall. Uh, he, he weighs 260 pounds. You know, he's not a thin freshman. Uh, he's physically as strong as anybody we've had, yet he's only 19 years old. His mobility in terms of lateral quickness and jumping at that height, you know, I don't know if there's many people that have ever been as gifted as he is there. You couple that with uh, that he's got a great shooting touch. Uh, he's very, very smart. We've asked him, Andy, to do a lot of different things this year. You know, he's played alongside Dusan. It would be easy for DeAndre just to protect the basket, play the center position, and keep it simple for him. We've really done the opposite. You know, we've made him guard the four. Uh, he's had to learn to play two positions, not one. And uh, I think his mind and his quickness, his agility, those things just, they really stand out when you're around them every day. And the last part is, you know, uh, we knew he was a great kid, but not until you're around your players every day for roughly a year do you truly know who they are. And uh, he's just, uh, he's the total package. He does what he's supposed to off the court. He loves the game. And, you know, obviously his future is about as bright as it can be. Alonzo Trier easily could have been one of these guys who, you know, deals with adversity last year. He's not eligible for the first part of the year. Could have bolted after the last season. But no, he came back and he's having an even better year. What did that tell you? Well, you know, Alonzo's lucky. He has a great family behind him. And, you know, I think the decision-making process on whether he was going to leave or stayed was going to be about, you know, things that mattered, you know, his development, where he could be a year from now. Um, They showed a lot of faith in the University of Arizona. And I think they also showed a lot of belief in themselves. You know, this is something that, you know, to this point, Alonzo's not missed anything. And this is the first time because even in his freshman year, you know, he broke his wrist and missed roughly half the Pac-12 season. So 19 games missed as a sophomore, eight games missed as a freshman. You know, knock on wood when I say it, but right now, you know, he's 21 for 21. And I think you really truly see who he is as a player, not to mention the added year of maturity, not only to his game, but, you know, who he is as a teammate, how he thinks outside of basketball. He's never been in a better place. And his efficiency, Andy, is is off the charts right now. You know, he's shooting above 50% from the field. He's uh, right at 40% from three. He's as good of a free throw shooter as I've coached. He's almost 90% from the line. And, uh, you know, I think he has a better way of playing with four other players. You know, his assists are up, his turnovers are down. And I think he's one of the best guards in the country. Sean, you've been to the Elite Eight, if if I'm right here, four times, three at Arizona, one at Xavier. What's the toughest part of losing in the Elite Eight? You know, it's... uh, those that have done it, and I've talked to a number of coaches, uh, Billy Donovan, you know, Mike Bray, and you know, those guys have touched that round. It's, it's really the weirdest feeling of all because you've really ridden a great ride in the tournament. I mean, you, you've gone to the second weekend, which is difficult to do. 
uh, you've won that game that puts you in a position to be in the game for the Final Four. Everybody wants to be in it. You know, the Elite Eight is different in that the rest of the tournament accompanies multiple games on the same day at the same venue. When you show up at the Elite Eight, you're the only game. <laughs> and uh, it's quiet, and you, everybody understands the meaning. But if you win, you did it. You know, you're cutting down the nets. You can hear the crowd. You have an entire week to celebrate making the Final Four. But if you don't, in a funny way, you, you almost get kicked out of the tournament. You know, your plane's getting ready to leave, and there is no pageantry after that loss. But I think getting so close to it and then it disappearing, it stays with you longer. And uh, you're right, four times is a lot. I do know it's hard to get there four times. Yes. You know, one of these days, uh, I think that, you know, the team that I'm a part of will will touch that and, and cross the threshold. But one thing that I've learned, Andy, if you make that your end-all, be-all, it's amazing how unhappy you are. I mean, uh, you've, you're ignoring the season. You're ignoring any success right. you've had. You're ignoring the fact you've won three games in the tournament, that you've even made the tournament. And I think appreciating the journey uh, sometimes is uh, is the hardest part. Well, Sean, we appreciate you taking some time to join us here on March Madness 365. I appreciate you having me on. Up next on March Madness 365, Gonzaga head coach Mark Few. And joining me now here on March Madness 365, Gonzaga head coach Mark Few. The Zags are off to yet another stellar start to their season. The 19 and four as we're taping this as they head into uh, another road weekend or another weekend series in the WCC. They've got San Diego and BYU coming in this weekend. Uh, they've won three in a row since the home loss to St. Mary's. Uh, Mark, at this juncture, as we get the calendar turning to February, where would you say this team is at in its overall maturation process? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I mean, I, I guess I could take that almost like by a, a either possession by possession or half by half or game by game. Uh, you know, there are times we look, uh, I should say most of the time we look like we're really far along, but then there, you know, there are other stretches of games where we kind of slip back and and look like we haven't been working on things for uh, very long. And I think that comes when you have just so many new, new to their role, new to the expectation, uh, you know, kind of guys. We got basically three freshmen, the four freshmen, if you count Rui, kind of he's more like a freshman in our top eight. So, you know, that that makes for some, uh, you know, interesting uh, times, especially when you're, you're making uh, adjustments on the fly. But personally, to, to go macro here on you, I would say uh, 19 and four and and nine and one heading into February is a pretty remarkable achievement by this group. We lost a lot, Andy. I mean, we we've been losing early entry guys here for last eight or nine years, but I mean, we've ne- we've never had it where we lost two. And to be able to the program to be able to kind of absorb that and 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 still sustain the you know, the level of winning and the level of success. Uh, I think this group has, has held up pretty darn well. Well, and really, of your four losses, only one of them was out of reach, and that was the, the loss to number one Villanova in New York. So, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. You, you've been right there on the other ones and, you know, road games, neutral site, and, and the like, obviously, sure. Portland and San Diego. And 
couple guys though, Killian Tilly, he's had some moments where he's busted out yes. and become suddenly, you know, this, you know, double digit, you know, twenty point kind of scorer guy. When you recruited him, I thought he was more of a compliment guy. I mean, how much can he emerge as a consistent stud for you that can produce like that? Well, you're right. He he has really had just some brilliant performances and, and they they've been brilliant i mean he's been really efficient uh with his shots he scored it you know at the goal he scored it out to three uh he's he's off the bounce uh you know he's had some some real spectacular athletic blocks and plays around the rim but then the flip side his consistent hasn't exactly been his uh wouldn't be the word that I would uh, come up with uh, thus far. I mean, he's capable of doing some amazing things. And I think what we all want is night in and night out to be able to count on that from uh, Killian. And, and boy, when he starts doing that, then yeah, he's, he's certainly moved beyond complimentary player status, but I think uh, the next step for Killian will be, you know, to be a dominant player out here in the West region. I think he's capable of doing that. But right now we're just lacking the consistency game in and game out, knowing knowing what you're going to get from him. You guys have also done a great job, you know, like Villanova, of getting old and staying old. And this crop of Jonathan Williams, Silas Melson, and Josh Perkins, you know, your upper-class core, uh, what have they meant to this season? Well, I mean, they've probably uh, uh, have been, uh, you know, as consistent as any of the – group that we currently have and then and then even they have been a little bit up and down but you know what they they bring you they bring you a, a, an element of physicality at least and an element of knowing what it kind of takes and i think there's also that element just mentally of not getting too high not getting too low you know, these seasons are long and and there's there's certainly ups and downs for everybody and I think they're that's probably been their greatest strength of this team is being able to process uh, you know, big wins or winning streaks and things like that, keeping everybody on the same page, and and also uh, you know you have a disappointing loss at home to to uh, St. Mary's, you know that you lead for you know most of the game, and and uh, you got to get up the next morning and travel to the Bay area and play a game Saturday afternoon, you know, so you don't have time to, to dwell on it. And I think having those guys really helps in situations like that. And your freshman class um, of Corey Kispert, Zach Norville and uh, Jakob Larson, Jacob or Jakob? It's Jakob. Jakob. Okay. I'll go Danish on you. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I, I would. How much optimism do you have really with that Hachimura group? Okay, yeah, all right. Class, so we'll, you know, because I, I know he barely he's played. Listed as a sophomore, and it's not that he didn't. He just barely played last year. He missed probably sixty, seventy percent of our practice time just because he was taking uh, uh, ESL classes to go with regular classes. So I mean, he didn't really even get to practice that much of us last year. So uh, I, I kind of throw him into that group also. So. How would you assess this freshman class that's going to be taking the baton from the upperclassmen that we just mentioned? Well, I mean, I, they're, the thing I like about it is their character traits and their personalities and, and their drive. Um, 
are all very, very Zag-like, which fit into the culture here. And, uh, you know, they've all had some really, really significant moments, you know, obviously some of them uh, more than others. I mean, Zach Norvell's really put together quite a year when he stepped in for uh, Kisper when Kisper got hurt with the ankle. You know, Corey showed great flashes down at uh, at the PK-80 against high-level competition, and, and then he got hurt, and, and he's just now uh, over the weekend he had, a, I think, his career high in points and rebounds. So that's that's obviously a good sign. Uh, Larson's came in, some big games. You look back to the Creighton game and came in against high-level competition and made some, made some game-changing plays. And, uh, and then obviously Hachimura, you know, when Rui's – when he's on and and aggressive and and uh, functioning out there like we hope and think he can, uh, he's he's a he's a handful. Again, consistency with him has been been what we're striving for most. So I asked this to Jay Wright. I had him on the show a couple weeks ago. How do you explain that two years in a row, smaller Catholic schools, opposite ends of the country, play for the national championship against a power state school like North Carolina? I, I think that you, it's really difficult to put uh, people, programs, things like that in boxes anymore. And I think we just want to do that as a society in general. We always want to label you in one way or or, or another. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I think there is no box to put Villanova in other than they're a national program playing at the highest level and there's no box really to put Gonzaga in. They're just a national program playing at the highest level that can compete at the highest level. That's, I think both of us have shown that certainly I don't think you'd argue with that. Just the branding of our programs, the way we operate, the the players that we have in our programs, the way we travel, our fan bases, everything is speaks totally of a national program that, uh, uh, you know, that's at the highest level. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it just it, it, it just kind of throws everything up in the wind, and and you just need to look at it that way. That's how I look at Villanova. Mark, I just had uh, Sean Miller on the show, uh, and we talked about losing the elite. A lot eight. of name dropping. I know, I know, I know, I know. Wow, impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so he's lost the elite yeah, eight four sure. times. You got the you got the bracket with Obama coming too. We're no, no, throw that out here. Now. <laughs> so he's lost the elite eight four times, three times at Arizona. And I asked him what that's like, and he said it's the worst because everyone you, know, you got you're right on the doorstep. You're on the day when there's one game, and wow. everyone's focusing on you. And then there's the euphoria of the winner, and then the loser sort of slinks off, and, and it's a it's a real tough feeling. Uh, to be in that right there on the edge and you just can't cross the finish line. Well, you've had the experience now of gone through of losing in the title game. Yeah. How would you explain what that feels like? Uh, you know, I would say, and as you know, I mean, we're um, crazy competitive, hyper competitive, too competitive or whatever. But at the same time, I would say that it doesn't, you know, I don't know that it hurts as bad as those other ones, you know, um, especially when it's your first time there. And I, and I guess the other thing I would say is I thought our team played 
up to their capabilities and we're in position to win the game, <laughs> you know, and, and from a coaching standpoint, that's what you want out of your team. You know, if you go back there and play poorly, then obviously that, you know, that sticks with you for quite a while. Um, uh, you know, the fact that we were at the final four, the fact that we were in the national championship game, the fact that we were right there, like leading with a minute to go uh, or whatever, I, I'm not going to feel bad about that. I can tell you that much. And, 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 <laughs> I would love to have won it. Yes. But it's not something that like, oh, my God, my life's not complete. We just didn't, you know, we didn't make a shot in the last, you know, minute and a half and didn't get a call. So I, I'm going to name drop one other thing, Mark, because I think this is. Oh, nice. I'm going to do one more for uh, you. You're, you're so, going to the Donald. Yes. Big, no, uh, last week. Night I, tonight, going to sit front row. You know, <laughs> last week I was at Oklahoma. And I didn't know this about Lon Kruger. All the practices are open, okay? I mean, there were kids uh-huh. running around. You know, there was a woman next to me who was probably in her late 60s, just random people coming in checking. He tells me it's the, you know, it's the people's team. He's got great balance. You know, you haven't done it to that extreme, but you're also someone who I admire for his balance in life. Uh, maybe not making it open to the public as much, but in terms yeah. of not letting it stress you out too much, as competitive as you are. How have you been able to balance that? Oh, I mean, I just think families, you know, I think there's a lot of, as with Andy Katz or Jay Wright or Sean Miller or Mark Few, I mean, th- th- there's all different parts to us. There's there's the father, there's the husband, there's the son, there's the friend, there's the coach, you know, there's the mentor, there's the, so I think it's important to keep all of those things in uh perspective and you and you can't just you know it can't just be all about being the coach now that's very important that's my job that's what I get you know paid to do and and a lot of people are counting on me to do that so I think you can give that your all and really really give it your all but I think the mistake that a lot of coaches make is they think they just it it has to be everything and it doesn't have to be everything you know you can you can, our teams are as prepared as any, and we get it done in a timely amount. And I like to see my assistants getting back home, <laughs> get with their kids. And uh, all, you know, all my assistants have young kids, and, and that's very important to me. I'm not the kind of guy that wants my guys in the office, you know, from 7 in the morning till 11 at night. I think that's kind of a Neanderthal football thing that got handed down to people, and you just don't have to. You can be really successful and not do it that way. And I'm totally comfortable with that, and that's kind of where my values are. And and I I think that one of the cool things about the Final Four and all that last year and two number one seeds and some number one rankings over the years has shown you can do it that way. So it's kind of reinforced that. Well, Mark, as always, thank you for joining me here on my latest podcast, March Madness 365. And uh, I know we'll be tracking you throughout the rest of the uh, month of February and into March. Yeah, you got it, Andy. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's good catching up. And that'll do it for this edition of March Madness 365. I'm Andy Katz. Hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. We're back every week covering college basketball 365 days a year on NCAA.com and Turner Sports. You can download this podcast wherever you find your podcast, especially on iTunes. You want to rate it, see what you think. And we'll talk to you next week.
March Madness 365 with Andy Katz, presented by Grammarly. AI seems to be all over the place, but with so many options on the market, how do you know what is good for you and your business? AI is no longer a plaything. It's a business imperative. Companies that already use AI for writing are making gains. If you want to beat the competition, you need an AI writing partner you can trust. One that will help you generate not just more content, but better. Grammarly saves your company from miscommunication and all the wasted time and money that goes with it. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft or the perfect last word, written in the company voice and tailored to their audience and goals. When every doc, message, and email your team writes is clear, compliant, and on brand, everything gets better. Inbox numbers drop, customer satisfaction scores rise, and companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly, easier said, done.